This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy... Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity, Art and Craft Creativity, Interviews with people who make, they are here to help keep you sane. Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Welcome to episode 162. This episode was a trip, let me tell you. Um, it didn't help that I had very little sleep. I won't disclose how much sleep I had before I recorded this show. I noticed in the editing process that I am particularly punchy. I'm not sure how you folks are going to feel about that. Hopefully, you enjoy it. I, I actually am starting to think that tired Jennifer is way more fun than well rested Jennifer. I'm excited to bring this episode to you. So, who's my guest this time? Liz Reed, and I am the co-creator of Cuddles and Rage, and I am 32, and I live in Elk Ridge, Maryland. All right, so is this who's my guest, and then I have them talk. Is that getting old? I don't know. Let me know if it is, because I think I've done that like two or three times in a row now. It's kind of fun the first time, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm still feeling a little punchy today, folks. Regardless, this interview is fun. I had a great time recording it. Liz is funny. And as she mentioned, she's the co-creator of Cuddles and Rage. And this is a comic that she produces with her husband, Jimmy Reed. They are this husband and wife team who started drawing in 2010. You also want to check out cuddlesandrage.com. So if you want to hit pause for a second and check out their website, kind of get a feel for the kind of work they do because it's really, really fun. These are food-related comics. Some of them are drawn out and some of them are done in clay. I want to thank my Patreon sponsors for being so supportive of this show. Thank you so much because without people like you out there encouraging me, I would not feel compelled to continue to do these interviews and get these opportunities to laugh with people that I just met on the phone and help them tell their stories. So thank you. Thank you so much for helping with this. I also have to give a shout out to Ted and his team over at ACS Home and Work for making those cool tea towels that I cannot wait to do a massive printing binge. After I turn in my final grades, I am itching to print. You have no idea how bad I want to print. And I will be printing on tea towels, the flower sack tea towels from acshomeandwork.com. You can order, tell them Jennifer sent you. I was a customer there first. So the sponsorship that I received from ACS is not in any way making me say that I like their towels when I don't because I love their towels. I met Ted through ordering from his company. So I'm um, really proud of the fact that we have a relationship that was started in a very authentic way. And it's wonderful to have 
ACS on the team helping me keep doing what I do. All right, without further ado, let's find out about Cuddles and Rage, this disturbingly cute comic that Liz and Jimmy put together. If we can kind of get started by just having you maybe do a little intro about Cuddles and Rage and tell the folks at home what it is if they haven't been enlightened yet. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Um, Cuddles and Rage is a webcomic that I run with my husband. We started it five years ago. Um, We were both working crazy day jobs and um, we wanted to fit a bit more creativity into our lives. So we just started doodling these little comics and our friends like them. So we're like, okay, we'll just put them online and see see what happens there. And um, we did that for a few months. And then my friend who um, she started sculpting like little clay food, I decided to sculpt our characters because like in our comic, we focus on like food and animal humor with like a little like disturbingly cute touch And um, I ended up taking the comic format and not only drawing, but then, like, making these big diorama scenes. And that's really what caught the attention of a lot of people and which launched our career and allowed us to team up with sites like Hello Giggles, which was founded by Zoe Deschanel. We've been working with them for four years. Um, We have some major stuff in the works this year that I can't talk about, but (laughs) it's all thanks to those cute little diorama scenes. And, you know, it's the reason why I was able to leave my day job and make, you know, funny jokes about food all day and hang out with my cat and dog versus going to a desk job, which is pretty fabulous. So what was your desk job before you made this fabulous leap a year ago? Yeah, so I worked in the television industry for seven years, and um, for a good part of it, I was kind of more like on the technical side of making sure everything looked okay for broadcast. And then in my last year, I kind of was like, okay, I got into television to try and be more creative, and I went and worked on the production team for the Science Channel. And um, I did that, and I learned so much, but I still had this like aching passion to do my own thing and just do Cuddles and Rage full-time, so I just took the leap. And it sounds like it's been really productive for you because things are taking off. It has been. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I will say that the first month of leaving my day job, I kind of like had to detox from the corporate world. (laughs) (laughs) And how did you do that exactly? What did you do? I watched a lot of Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. But it's hard. I mean, like, as you know, running a podcast and teaching, it's like, you know, I was doing two jobs for five years and and two jobs passionately for five years, which is really draining. And you reach a certain point where, you know, I didn't want to not put my all into my day job because I really loved what I was doing and respected the people I worked with. But at the same time, I just... It seems like really silly and overdramatic, but I really couldn't see life without Cuddles and Rage, and that wasn't something that I could give up. And so it was one of those things where it's like, okay, this is going to be a regret if I just stop and and not put everything I can into it to see how far I can take it. So that's why we just were like, all right, it's time. (laughs) Well, and that's and if we back up too, I read on your website um, that Cuddles and Rage actually started as doodles on napkins during bar trivia. Yes. Okay. So look, tell me, take me back to that, to that scenario. How exactly like, so you're, so you were basically out with your husband playing, playing trivia. Is that (laughs) how this started? Yeah, we were out with um, some of our friends um, and we would go every Tuesday to this one bar 
um, in Savage, Maryland, and we would just do trivia together. And between like each trivia question, it just takes forever, especially if you if you like know it right away. Mm-hmm. You're just like scribble it and run it up. Then you have all this downtime. And so just to entertain each other, we just started doodling these weird characters and our friends just thought they were like hilarious. And our drawings at that time were super duper dark. We've like lightened up a bit and be- <laughs> become a bit more like universally friendly because Jimmy and I, we love um, scary movies and and then we, we realized we're like, oh man, our humor can be like super duper dark. Like, <laughs> let's find a balance. So um, yeah, we just kind of like started off just being so unfiltered. And it's not to say that we filter ourselves now, but we definitely, you know, over the years from just like doodling something on a napkin, we've learned how to form a joke and make sure that it's tight and that it works and that it's smart. And I think that's where like the investing your time into your comic and into your craft, like where you can really see the difference from going back to day one to like where we are five years later. Right. Well, and where, what was your first comic? I mean, the first one that when you graduated from the the napkin at the bar, when you decided like, okay, we're going to try to do this. What was the first comic officially that you guys posted? Oh my God, it was horrible too. (laughs) It was, and and that's what I think is beautiful about it is that so many people like just, they put so much planning behind like putting themselves out there to the point that like they never do it. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it was really just like (laughs) pencil on paper. We graduated from a napkin to actual paper (laughs) and, um, it was just, it, the joke does not make sense. It's, it's even like weird to describe it. It's a peanut, like, or it's like a nut. It's a chicken nugget singing about peanut butter. And then it walks into a scene with a cracked peanut on a floor with a taquito in the background. So like even describing it, it's like, what the heck? But this is just like what was in our mind that we had to get out on There's paper. There's a lot going on in that comic, it sounds like. Way too much. Way too much. We have definitely simplified and just gotten straight to the point now. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because you have, um, you know, I'm looking at your website and when, if people go to cuddlesandrage.com and click on uh, the comics link, you have, I mean, you can get a great sampling of your work. And I just, I'm scrolling through and one of the ones that is jumping out at me is world peace. You have water and oil, like giving each other a high five. And these are (laughs) a glass of water with legs and arms and um, it's getting some serious air. And (laughs) doing an airborne high five with a bottle of oil that is also has a face and arms and legs. <laughs> and I mean, and, and underneath it says world peace, you know, and I'm just like, you know, this is pretty cool. And they're cute and they're funny. And, and some of them, um, because it's cuddles and rage, there's some rage um, yes. <laughs> in, in some of these. And, um, but the, nothing that is so um, jarring or terrible are going to give anyone a heart attack. I mean, it's, it's um, very funny stuff. And I, I think this one, Oatmeal, is really, really hilarious, too, where um, it's a, it looks like a kind of a forlorn bowl of oatmeal. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> everyone tries to add to me or change me. What if I like being plain? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's cute. This, this is really cute stuff. And I, I think that this must be really fun for you to be able to collaborate with your life partner to, to make something really fun like this. I mean, what has that been like for you? It's been a blast. You know, I think at first, like, we've always been a team. Like, we haven't worked together for a bit. And so the transition into working together to make a comic was really easy. I think at times, um, whenever you're putting yourself out there in the creative process, the one thing that we did learn 
is that um, not to be too harsh. <laughs> right. Like, I'm, I, he is like super good at it. Um, but me at first, like I was definitely guilty of if he pitched a joke and I didn't get it, I would be way too blind and be like, I don't get it. I'd be like, no, but it's this. And I'd be like, yeah, I just don't get it. And the key, the key that we learned is just to, you know, build off of each other. Don't right. just like reject something, just find something that you like or, or play off of it into a different direction. And I, I think we can really see that in our jokes, how they've grown. Cause we've always said that. And whenever we write separately, it's just not as good as when we come together and write a joke together. Right. Well, it's, it sounds like that's you guys have a synergy going that seems to be working, you know, five years later. Uh, and how, how did you guys actually meet? <laughs> we met at work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and where we work is crazy because that sounds I know like in, in some work environments that like, might sound like kind of like taboo. But um, well, I met my husband at work, too. Oh, OK, but, cool. Yeah, know, we're so, risk takers. Yeah, um. it's like, yeah it, it is a risk because if it doesn't go well. It could be hell, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's completely true. I've seen that happen. You have to too. find another job. <laughs> yeah. But where we worked, it's like late nights, long hours. And a lot of people, the environment that we worked in, a lot of people are married. And it's just kind of like the culture of like, you already have stuff that you're equally invested in and interested in. And, and so it was just like a natural like gravitation towards each other. Right. So you guys met. And how long, how long ago was that when you met? Oh, I always get busted for not knowing the numbers. He could tell you like to the hour. Um. <laughs> this is not entrapment. I'm not trying to. Um... And then yeah, Cuddles yeah. and Rage ends after this podcast. And I'm like, yeah. oh, crap. <laughs> no, no, he's totally the Cuddles part. And I'm totally the Rage part. Um, he, I guess we've been together like seven, going on seven years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how long ago did you get married? <laughs> this is the trick question. <laughs> 2010. I think I got that one right. All yeah. Right, all right. So the same year that you started Cuddles and Rage. Yeah. So the same year we actually um, took a little break from Cuddles and Rage trying to plan a wedding and um, maintain the comic at the pace that we were going right. was just too much. Right. And people would be wondering what your priorities were. Like, is it your wedding or Cuddles and Rage, right? <laughs> well, my brother actually confronted me. He was like, um, I noticed that you stopped doing Cuddles and Rage. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm getting married. I kind of have to, like, get this done first. We got to focus on the Cuddles right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, that's so funny. So when you met your husband, did you know right away that you're going to end up marrying this guy? Or was it kind of? a slow process to, um, you know, cause you're working, you're not really supposed to be like actively searching for love. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew of him for a while and I had never formally met him. And then whenever I changed jobs within the company and got to work with him directly and then we went out to dinner one night and it was just, for me, it was just instant. Um, I know that, <laughs> It's crazy. But like before, um, before I got to really know him, I was at work. I was in this donut eating contest where <laughs> I won. Like I beat out all these like huge dudes. How like many eating. donuts did you eat? Because I'm looking at a picture of you online. <laughs> now, unless you've quadrupled in size or something since then, <laughs> no, I mean, you don't look like you could pack away very many donuts. Let me tell you. I ate a dozen in like a like um, two minutes, maybe oh, like a minute. Thirty. They they should have timed it. Did it was you get a... sick. No, I actually ate cookies afterwards. Oh, my... <laughs> I love food. I oh love my food. Goodness. 
Oh my goodness. So, so he, did he know you as the donut eating champion? Yes. And then that's, he, he said, that's like when he fell in love with me, he was like, if this girl can like take down all these men eating these donuts, like she's perfect. Oh. <laughs> so did he approach you at that point though? I mean, or how much, how much time passed before you guys actually connected? Um, a good year passed. Really? Just, Cause that seems like, that seems like an odd time to like swoop on in and be like, Hey, <laughs> Hey baby, you ate a lot of donuts. You know? yeah. <laughs> We kind of let it happen organically after <laughs> that. That is so funny. But meanwhile, you had no idea he was, like, in the audience. Like, this guy had decided you were the one from your no. donut uh, your donut capacity here. You know, he, he had you had no idea that this guy was, you know, interested. You just ate the donuts, went back to eat cookies, and then go back to work. <laughs> yep. Pretty oh. much. You nailed it. Oh, my goodness. So, that, so that's funny. So when did this uh, donut competition come up during that first dinner? It did. It did. Oh, man, that donut competition got me jobs, too. Like, oh, yeah? I remember really? being in interviews and being like, you won that donut competition. I was like, yes, could I have a job, please? Oh, that is so funny. Who would have <laughs> thought? You know, I'm actually on, on a weight loss uh, mission right now. I'm trying to get back into road race form. So I can't enter a donut competition right now. It would be <laughs> ill-timed. But um, I'll have to keep that in mind that if I really need to kickstart my career, I should <laughs> en- enter a donut. Because donut eating sounds better than, like, other kind of like tacos or burritos or other scary things that people eat like hot dogs and stuff like that they eat like 20 of them and then they get sick so donuts don't sound so bad yeah when I was younger I did jalapenos and I would not recommend that oh my goodness oh so this is a thing for you like this isn't just like one-time donut competition it's not it's not really like a thing like I enter in professionally it's just like little side challenges and I'm just one of those people where if you challenge me then I'll I'll take you up oh, on that it is so funny no I I could see myself doing that too and I'm definitely not you probably feel like I'm leading the witness here I'm like okay so how many donut competitions have you been in um it sounds like I've it's retired. A, a I totally can't yeah. do it anymore it's so funny though and did you work for a particular show or tv station that people would know um at the time I was working with Discovery Communications, which is like a bigger umbrella. Um, So, and then within that, like afterwards, I was working with the Science Channel for the last part because like within Discovery Communications, it gets kind of complicated because it's all like TLC, um, I guess used to be Military Channel, Discovery, Animal Planet, all those guys are under that big umbrella. So I was working for the corporate side of things and then moved on to the network side. And so when you find yourself, uh, you know, you have your your exit where you're like, okay, I'm going to go do Cuddles and Rage full time. Did you have, when you went to college, did you study communications and uh, television and broadcasting or did you study art? I mean, what what, what is your background? Yeah. So my background is actually in um, film and digital media and I, I focused a huge part of my um, studies, even in my, my master's program in digital media. And at the time, I feel so dated because they kept calling it interactive television. <laughs> That's yeah. so sad. Yeah. Well, believe me, I graduated from college in 1998. And my, yeah, my education in journalism is entirely different than what I present to my students now. So we were talking about your background. So you studied um, the television and film and then when were you always like sketching or trying to come up with comic stuff or was that kind of a thing that just evolved with your husband or I mean is this something were you doodling uh, as a kid sitting in class you know I think about this a lot because I saw this TED talks a while ago where um this guy was giving a talk and it really spoke to me because it was exactly how I felt um when I was younger I 
like an elementary school, I was really into art and I'm originally from Texas. And so you'd have to create um, these images for the Texas rodeo. And I remember uh, one year I made a cowboy on a horse and I was so sad because I got second place out of my school, which is not a big deal. Like that is really, that's pretty good. I think I was like a little too hard on myself, but because I got second place and not first place, I quit drawing after that. Oh my goodness. Isn't that ridiculous? And so I would doodle like on my books and stuff, but then I actually didn't start drawing again until that night at Trivia. Um, Jimmy, when we first met, he he had a sketchbook and he would draw little things because he, um, ever since a young age, like he really wanted to write children's books. And so he's like, I'm just going to pick this back up again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for me, I just picked it back up that one night. <laughs> That's also said that one night in that bar, I picked it back up. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I've just been drawing ever since. And in relation to like the, the TED talk that I saw, it was this guy was talking about how you have these pivotal moments in your life where, you know, especially when it comes to creativity, if somebody tells you like, you're not good enough at, at a young age, then a lot of people will just quit it right then. And then they yeah. just they won't pursue it. And, and that's, that's so sad. Exactly. And it's like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> you're 10. <laughs> Keep right. going. Yeah. And were, and were you 10? How, how old were you when, when that um, happened? I was in fifth grade. So, okay. And I was young for my grade. So I was 10. Yeah. yeah. How did you feel when you picked it up again? I loved it. I was so excited. And I kind of felt like I lost a little bit of my skill, a little bit of my fifth grade skill set. <laughs> yeah, well, that can happen over time. So you had to get that back, right? I had to. Honestly, I, I think it's more just like getting comfortable mm-hmm. with doodling on paper and right. not caring and just being like, okay, maybe it doesn't look like something now, but it will look like something I'm later. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, and some of the stuff is so cute because right at the top of your page, you have a donut with you know just a donut sitting there saying i feel so empty inside and there's like a donut hole (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's like stuff like that it's just it's really it's really fun and so when you draw what is your process like do you do you and jimmy draw and then kind of you know separately or do you guys sit down together and sketch out stuff and then bounce ideas off of each other or because you're you're home during the day to work on this stuff so I don't know if you like bounce your work off of him when he comes home or you know why don't you tell us a little bit about your process yeah so we both draw um the at first if you look at our like early comics you'll see two different drawing styles because we both would like post and draw everything um and now mostly um Jimmy does a lot of the character design and I do a lot of the drawing online and we both write jokes together we pretty much I mean we sleep next to our sketchbooks and pretty much every night like we're sketching and pitching ideas to each other in bed and just making each other laugh I think that's like kind of the key to the whole thing was we just wanted (laughs) to write jokes for each other and we still do that and uh with the sculpting and everything um I'm the main sculptor uh Jimmy tried sculpting but he's actually allergic to the clay oh no and what kind of clay are you guys using um, we use a few different types. Um, we use Sculpey 3, um, and that's just for, like, our dioramas that we set up, take a picture of, and then break down. And then for our gallery pieces, I use Super Sculpey, and I hand paint them with acrylics. Okay, so one uh, of them is permanent, and the other is a breakdown kind of... 
they're both permanent and hard, oh, but okay. with Sculpey 3, and, like, you'll see, like, a lot of criticism online for that brand um, that a lot of people prefer Fimo. It's, it gets intense when it comes to people talking about their clay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, people get pretty particular about what they want to use. Yeah. Yes. I've seen some crazy YouTube videos where I'm like, man, life's too short to be that mad about clay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got some other ragers out there. Yes. Yes, totally. We need more cuddles. Um, but yeah, so with the Scopey 3 for me, like I'll sculpt smaller pieces, like our magnets and stuff with them, and that's perfectly fine. But when it comes to larger pieces, um, it, it definitely just doesn't have the same amount of strength or um, – you're not able to get as much detail out of Sculpey through as you would like super Sculpey uh, just because like when, when you start molding it, it just kind of goes a little soft on you. Mm, okay. And does that, uh, does that clay hard enough or do you bake it or do you? Oh bake? yeah. You, you bake both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have to, you have a, a little, uh, one of those little ovens that you put everything in. I do. For the longest time, I would put it in my main oven until oh, no. Jimmy. No, I know. Jimmy was like, that's gross. I'm like, oh, I'm not dead. Like, we're good. Not yet. Yeah, I'm glad he stopped you. <laughs> I, know. I want Cuddles and Rage to continue. I know, I know. So now I got my own oven. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely like, 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 I think that's why we balance each other out because I'm more like, oh, just do it and worry about the consequences later. And he's, he's like, like, no, Liz, you need to research. Don't kill us. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So to make sure the folks at home are understanding, too, because you have the hand-drawn comics that you're doing, and then mm-hmm. you take those images, and, and do you work from the, the hand-drawn comic back to the sculpture, or are you sometimes sculpting things and write? Because I know some of your some of the things I've seen are photographs posted online, and it will have, like, a cut line underneath that's the, you know, that's the, the comic, um, you know, is written underneath. You know, the whole um, punchline is underneath. And sometimes there isn't a hand-drawn comic to go with it. So do you guys just have that that mix of things? And how do you decide what is drawn and what is sculpted? Good question. Um, we do just have a mix of things. Like sometimes I'll sketch out the diorama beforehand. I'm trying to do that more just because it helps with organization. But sometimes I just get so excited that I just want to sculpt it and <laughs> create right away. So it just depends on my mood. Um, and then in terms of... The, I'm sorry, I totally had an answer to your second question. What was your second question again? Um, I was asking, like, if you decide, um, you know, how you decide what is going to be sculpted and what is going to be... Um... You totally nailed it in, ter- in terms of, like, deciding what's sculpted oh, and what's yeah, drawn. Oh, yeah, 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 Sometimes... <laughs> I'm glad you can uh... help me remember what I just oh, no. asked you. Jeez, we're going to get through this, Liz. Thank you. Thank you so much for your help. help we're doing remember. great. We're doing a good job. <laughs> uh, yeah, so with that, it, it honestly has to do with how easy it is for me to sculpt be- and also if it... Um, weighs heavily on dialogue because we have done some uh, dioramas where we've inserted uh, dialogue between the characters Mm -hmm. and it works but right now we're just sticking to a style online to be consistent where with our dioramas it's really more based on the action than on what the characters are saying right right so then that will kind of like weed out if I sculpt it Um, and also it has a lot to do with the props that we have like we're always going to antique stores and looking for little miniatures so if we don't have the right miniature or I don't feel like I'm able to sculpt the right prop with the right amount of texture and stuff, then more than likely it'll end up being a drawn comic because um, we just don't want the the quality of the miniature to take away from the image that we're presenting. Have you always been into dollhouse kind of stuff and miniatures? Yeah, for me, my love of miniatures came later in life because when I was a kid, I was terrified of dolls. 
<laughs> I was so scared of them. I did not go near dolls. Like my aunt, she whenever I'd stay at her house, she had dolls all over her house, like oh, dolls no. looking at themselves oh, in mirrors. Yeah. Like oh, it was scary. Yeah, that is scary. My grandma had a lot of dolls too, and it was always unnerving because I'd mm-hmm. feel like I'd be sitting there. Like, even just watching TV in her house, and she had, like, a cabinet of dolls be facing you on the couch. Like, so you're sitting <laughs> on the couch. The dolls are watching you watching TV. And it was just sometimes, like, you look over and you're like, they really look like they're looking at me, you know? And, yeah. yeah. So I wasn't, like, a big doll person either. And I'm not. I'm really not now either. I just like the miniatures and, like, to put other stuff that I make in scenes. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's what it comes down to is just, like, the craft behind making the miniatures. Yes. Um, because one of the shows that I worked on at Science Channel was How It's Made, and they did a special on, like, how to make miniature furniture. And it's just, like, that show, like, really breaks down your appreciation for that sort of thing because it's, like, it's not just somebody, like, some machine, like, dumping it out. It takes somebody designing it. It takes somebody painting it. There's all this, like, art and craft that goes in behind it. And I've also attended, like, miniature um, conventions, (laughs) Which I don't know if you've been to one of I those. I've never yet. been to one of those, but maybe I'll have to meet you at one sometime. That's hilarious. What? So, what do you do at a convention like that? Um, there's, there's super fun. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm the youngest person in the room, but I think like the age range is like changing now. Yeah. Now, do they have like miniature couches where you sit on there for a photo shoot, like <laughs> selfies on a mini couch or something? So you look gigantic and a. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Cool. It's a lot of dioramas. Um, it's a lot of people, handmade carpets. And this one guy had like all like handmade miniature weapons, which was pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I love it though, because, you know, finding, once you start building up a miniature collection, it's very expensive. Like a miniature couch can go anywhere between $20 to like $150. What? $150? Oh, yeah. I mean, it just depends on how wow. much time it took that person to make it. Like if they like reupholstered it by hand or hand painted it how, and hand carved it. How big would a miniature $150 couch be? I think it would be the same as like any other couch. It's just like the amount of details. Like but no, it, I mean like I mean other standard sizes for miniatures because I don't know all this. I don't know the. Oh, yeah, there are like, different scales. Okay. Like there's like half inch and I think a fourth inch. Like my doll loving aunt is really into it, and tell <laughs> you all the scales. Like for me, um, I think it just kind of goes with like my oh, I'm cool, I'm chill kind of feel. I'm just like. I'll just eyeball it. I can sculpt to like whatever size is right. Right. right Whatever's going to fit. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go to one of these miniature conventions, are a lot of people like doll collectors or a lot of them artists who are making miniatures to, to use in their artwork? I think it's a really good mix. I think that the resurgence of people being interested in miniatures, I think that the newer interest kind of leans more towards the craft of it, especially mm-hmm. with the miniature food. Right. Um, but then I, I think a lot of the like older generations kind of lean more towards the nostalgia with the dolls and setting up the scenes. And um, I was listening to like a really interesting podcast yesterday. Um, it's like the happiness podcast with Gretchen. I forgot her last name. It's really good. Yeah. She's the one who wrote the book. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, you know, your podcasts. Um, she was talking about how like what you did when you were 10 can kind of like foreshadow what you should do as an adult for fun. Yeah. And she- and, yeah. And I often use the benchmark as what what you want to do when you were five is probably oh. the career you want to go into. Because when you say with Wild Abandon, 
oh, I want to do this when I grow up, you know, and then kids are yeah. like, then you kind of like tweak that and really like, oh, maybe not. And you kind of, someone tells you something negative and then you completely like lose your way. Yeah. So she was saying that when you're 10, what you do for fun when you're 10 can foreshadow. Yeah. And so like the example that she used was somebody who was obsessed with dollhouses, like way beyond their like appropriate age to be in love with dolls. And um, that person turned out to be an interior designer. Oh, yeah. Well, which I can sense. see a correlation yeah. there. Totally. Absolutely. And so you feel like, you know, for you, the miniature thing, you weren't into the dolls, but now you're really into the miniatures. And how, how big is your collection of miniatures? Oh, gosh, I've never counted the pieces. I'm running out of space. Like, I have a whole huge cabinet just full of them. Uh, I feel like I could easily say I have over 300 pieces. Um, maybe plus more than that if I'm including all, like, the little pieces of food and props and stuff. It's It can be an addiction. Luckily, no, I, <laughs> I have a budget for it. <laughs> Are these miniatures things that a combination of things you've purchased and things you've made yourself that you can reuse? How much of this stuff is handmade that you can reuse? Yeah, a lot of the props. All, all the characters are handmade by me. And some Obviously. of the Yeah, are... I was definitely not trying to say that you. Oh, yeah. Your no, no, no. Totally. You your... Yeah, we buy all the Cuddles and Rage characters at these miniature conventions. Booth 96 is our favorite. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I make some of the props. Um, and sometimes I've even like reupholstered couches so I can get the most out of it because you can really tell if I use like the same right it's pattern. Like, oh, of a- there it is again, the blue couch. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was part of like a little miniature meetup. It was so cute because everybody, um, <laughs> everybody was like definitely retired. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was so and much fun Liz to learn. Walks in. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And um but but it made me realize it kind of, that man, here's like this awesome skill set of like restoring dollhouses and yeah, like one lady was like an electrician like specializing in dollhouses. Wow, awesome. That's it's really being lost and I just wanted it to be passed down and so I learned how to reupholster my own dollhouse furniture from them. And I, I learned so much wisdom from those ladies. They are amazing. And was this like a, a group like where you live? I mean, is it like a regular club or something or just a, a one-time meetup that happened? Yeah, I signed up to be – I don't remember the formal title because it's been a while. But um, for when I was trying to hunt down more miniature stuff, I joined like the National Miniature Association <laughs> And you get you get like a pen in the mail. Um, and so I found their meetup through that website. And every, pretty much every state has all these little local chapters of miniature enthusiasts. And you can find somewhere probably within like 30 minutes of you that you could go meet up once a month and just do miniature workshops. Okay. Well, that sounds really fun. So you can learn some things from the folks that have been doing this a long time. And are you starting to meet people that are younger that are actually – getting into this are you starting to find other like-minded kindred spirits who are into miniatures oh yeah i mean i think for me some of the most talented especially in in the food realm um the most talented people are like 10 year olds on youtube like they rock it out they are so detail oriented and so i really love the fact that they're getting into making miniatures and i think that that'll soon evolve into beyond food and more into like the prop making and stuff with what I see at the conventions that I go to. Well, that's great. So it's, so for you, I mean, as you're 
kind of the craft behind the comic kind of as you continue to build your skills, how has Cuddles and Rage evolved in the last five years as you've gotten more and more into this with the miniatures and the sculpting? How, how have things changed? Um, I definitely think that over five years, um, we've learned to be a bit more focused and that before it was just this outlet to kind of be creative and, you know, we, we put thought behind everything, but I guess we couldn't really say what the end goal was because it was really, you know, at that time, the end goal was just to be creative, something very vague. And now the end goal is like, we've built this whole community of people where we get notes from people um, almost every day saying like, thank you, you made my day. Like I was having a horrible day and your jokes made me laugh. And it's just grown into this thing where it's like, oh man, like, you know, we're getting the creative creativity that we wanted from this originally. And then we're also like spreading the love and, you know, helping people's days and inspiring people to create. And, you know, my favorite thing is when people write to us or they send pictures of something that they've sculpted, um, like Cuddles and Rage fan art. And I think that's what we've grown into is just our goal is to is to now you know, tell as many people and encourage as many people to sit down and make some art. Like, I, I feel like so many adults and it makes me so mad. You know, you go to work, you wake up, you cook dinner, you repeat, you do it right. all over again. And and to stop and create something like there's you get so much out of that. And, and I think a lot of times we forget that when we just get stuck in old habits. Right. No. And it's amazing how much of a boost, even like five or 10 minutes of just some kind of creative activity can really just kind of reboost and revamp your whole day. And yeah, I, so I, I agree that that can be very beneficial and you don't have to worry if you're not super good at something, because if you keep working at it, you get better and you might actually discover that you're a great painter, but you would have no idea if you never pick up the brush. So, so I think that's, that's really awesome that you guys have committed to, to doing this as a, is it a daily practice? I mean, obviously you're working, you know, as a day, a day job on Cuddles and Rage, but is this something that you're collaborating with your husband every day on this? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're always in communication about either ideas or, um, just like what projects we have on we're doing next. And it, now, you know, going back to like the, the five years later before we could kind of do whatever we wanted with our day. And now we have like this amazing schedule where it's like each day, you know, there's a little bit of freedom, but it's like, we have to stay on target to meet um, all these different deadlines that we have on some upcoming projects. So what kind of uh, schedule are you on as far as publishing your, um, your comic? I mean, is it something, are you releasing something new every day or what, what is your, your goal, your target goal? on that front. Yeah. So originally we tried to set the goal of posting a comic four times a week. And that was really exhausting. And you'll hear that a lot from new comic creators that, um, oh man, I committed to the schedule and now I can't keep it up anymore. And then a lot of times they'll, they'll just stop creating in general. And so when we came back after we got married, we just decided to, you know, take it back a notch and just post twice a week. And especially with sculpting the dioramas, like that, that takes a lot of time and a lot of planning. And so we've been able to, to meet that schedule for a good um, four and a half years now with posting twice a week. And then consistently on social media, we'll post there every day, a, a little something. Okay. And, and how are you supporting this? Um, so if you're posting twice a week and then you put stuff on social media, are you selling 
prints and photographs of those comics? Or what is your model to fund your artwork? We sell our stuff online. We go to conventions. And I think for us, funding-wise, um, just because we've talked about having ads on our site, and it just never really fit into what we envisioned our site to be. Um, for us, if we ever did go the way of ads and we want it to be like very specific to something that caters to our audience, so like to curate our ads. Um, but, you know, majority of our audience is on um, social media, so it doesn't really apply that much anyways because if we have a comic on our site like that's where you can find like the main hub the library of everything mm -hmm. but we also post them all to social media we try and bring our content to our audience um but yeah i think in terms of you know making a career out of it um it, it's the bigger projects that we're working on now that have been able to fund us um to continue doing it individually you're publishing in, in several places. Are there any that you want to kind of highlight if people are looking for your work beyond your website? Where else can they find Cuddles and Rage? You can also see our work every Friday on HelloGiggles.com. Um, if you haven't seen that site before, it's really, really awesome. It's it all like pretty cool. I, yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Yes. I, I just love how, you know, in their early years and when they first started, they promoted themselves as like the female version of Funny or Die. <laughs> and then it grew into this bigger mission of just, you know, really celebrating all things female and, and really encouraging young girls to have like a better self-esteem and, and having some raw discussions on, you know, some topics that aren't always easy to talk about. So they've been amazing and a great partnership. Um, you can also find our work at Gallery 1988. That's uh, a pop culture gallery um, space in L.A., and we have a show coming up there in the next two weeks that I'm working on right now. We have a piece that we're contributing. Um, and then you can also find our work at Hero Complex Gallery. That is also out in L.A. And we have a few pieces up in their store as well. So you're in a lot of places. That's cool. Yeah, we try to be as flexible as possible. And I think that's kind of where having the mixed media aspect of our comic comes in. Because it's, it's just really given us all these different opportunities where I think if we were just one thing... Um, you know, to say drawn comics. And I, I think our work would be compared a lot to other people's, but we've kind of created our own space, which is pretty magical. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and let's talk a little bit about the different things that you're selling too, because these aren't just prints. These are, you have books that you've done. Um, you have some sculptures that you're selling. So the, the, if um, people are, go over to your Etsy shop, and is that the, the, probably the easiest place? If people can't get to the places you've mentioned, is your Etsy shop your main uh, outlet for selling your work to the public? Yeah, our Etsy shop is kind of our main hub. We do have stuff on Society6 and Redbubble, but um, those sites are fantastic. They just make it a little bit harder to find specific shops. Oh, so we yeah. have links to them on our on our site. But yeah, Etsy is our main jam in terms of selling. Okay. And so what can people find there? And now I'm looking at it, but I'll let you describe, <laughs> let you describe your work. Because if I describe your work, it's kind of like, okay, um, why are we doing this interview? <laughs> so I'm going to let you describe for the folks at home what you have available. Yeah. So we have a mixture of sculptures and prints. Um, and we have a lot of our books on there and greeting cards, magnets. We have a whole mix. But I think like the biggest thing that uh, we receive orders for is for our custom pet sculpts. And that is super duper fun because on there, 
we um, it's like the most engaging project product that we have because we'll send out a questionnaire to people that are requesting a sculpt and it'll break it down all the way down to your pet's personality. What's their favorite toy? You know, give us all these pictures of your pets like front, you know, because you're doing like a 360 sculpture. So you need like the front, back, tummy. It's really funny when people get embarrassed and they're like, here's a picture of my cat's butt. <laughs> Because I mean, you need to be able to see the cat, and people, mm-hmm. yeah, and people, yeah. So that's probably um, that is kind of weird because the cat and dog, they probably are like, why are they taking a picture of the rear end of me now? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you want to make it, you know, really special for that person ordering it to the point that you know, if your dog has a special marking, like owners know if their cat has like three white spots on their paw, right. So we kind of ask for that level of detail because it's like if I – like with our cat, she has a black spot on her nose. And if if somebody drew her and they didn't put that black spot on her, then it wouldn't feel like our cat. Right. Right. And you'd want your money back, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would just take a a Sharpie and put it in there. Yeah. You're like, I need a refund for this. but Or I'll just – solve it myself uh so so there's um you have how many books out now oh gosh um they're probably not all listed on our site but we have probably around seven different books out okay and are are these long books short books little mini books what what are they like they we have like one children's book called Dress Can Do, and then we have like another kind of older children's more i wouldn't say adultish but um, another bigger book called Santa Conda. <laughs> you can see how why that's not suitable for super young kids. Um, but yeah, and then outside of that, um, and we have My Husband Hates Cats, which my husband doesn't like her cat, so I wrote this book to just kind of like get it out of my system. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I was looking at that, and I was like, is this based on Jimmy and your cat? Um, okay, so, um, so was that something that helped you kind of um, get over that issue? Was it, it cathartic? Did. Yes, it yeah. was. Because, <laughs> you know, um, and I, to, to his defense, um, like, our cat is, she's a, she's a calico. She's like a one-person cat. She is a, will only sit on my lap. If she sits on Jimmy's lap, if he moves, then she'll growl. So, oh. <laughs> like, he's, like, trapped she's in She's like, I'm giving cat. you a chance. Right, yeah, Don't totally. move. Yeah, um, that is so, I could see his perspective, but at the same time, I was like, I still want to write a book about this. Right. Um, but yeah, and then a lot of our other books are just, um, I don't know how much you've like been to like the, the whole like zine culture yes. stuff. Uh, yeah. Yes. So they're kind of the shorter. Um... Yeah, exactly. And so like with this past weekend when we were at MoCA, which is like an indie comic festival in New York, um, there was a lot of that, like a lot of people like handmade books and you know, and that's what I think is like super special about people publishing their own books. It's, you know, it's this beautiful mix of like, um, you know, going and having your book like officially published through, you know, a larger, more recognizable name to just going to Staples and making this great story. And in these like venues that we show in, it's like you never know what you're going to get. And like the tiny story that somebody like hand stapled is just as good as like this, you know, huge coffee table book that somebody made. It's like this beautiful, even playing field. You also have the greeting cards as well on your site, yes. I'm seeing. And mm-hmm. um, I'm curious because I see a donut like doing uh, a major in the mid, like in midair 
jumping into some sprinkles and the sprinkles are not on the donut yet. So it's going to happen, you know, any <laughs> second. And there's a mini couch in the background and all that. Now, are you using some Photoshop action here or are you uh, suspending this donut from a wire somehow? I mean, cause this is pretty, pretty sweet. And I don't know if it's too, if these are secrets you don't want to reveal, that's okay. But I am really fascinated by this. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally into sharing our secrets. Um, cause that's how I learned learning other people's secrets. Yeah. Um, yeah, so with that picture in particular, it is some Photoshop magic. Um, that guy is being held up by a little shish kebab stick. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and, he just, tape. <laughs> and he just took that off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because um, throwing them up in the air and then – because when, when you shoot that small with like a, a macro lens and, and like with the lighting situation that we have, you really will never be able to get the right shutter speed for you to do something in action. Mm-hmm. So – it's definitely the way that we set up. Like, I can't even touch the camera to take the photo. I have to have a remote control so that the camera stays as still as possible. You talk about how some of the things are, are dark. Like, how dark would you say that your your comics get now? Because you said you guys have lightened up a little bit from mm-hmm. the beginning. So what would you say would be a good example of a dark Cuddles and Rage cartoon? Hmm, of a dark one. I, I think the darkest character that we have is a guy called Dr. Dequito. <laughs> and we use him every Tuesday to teach people like little fun cooking tips. <laughs> I've seen this Dr. Dequito. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like a fan favorite. And if you don't know who he is and you look at this like orange guy with crazy hair, you're probably like, what is what what is going on here? This guy is too weird for me. But once you like embrace Dr. Taquito, then like we had like plushes made out of him and sold out immediately because like people are hardcore about their Dr. Taquito. Um so I'd say he's the best example about how dark we go. Like for example, my favorite joke that's actually talking to my husband about this morning is um in order to do the cooking tips, we always like pretend like he's torturing food. And so he has like this artichoke like chained up in his basement and he has a knife in his hand. And he's like, I'm going to cut your heart out first. I saw that. And, yeah. <laughs> so that's probably as dark as we go. Like we have certain rules that we stick by. Like we'll never swear in our comic. We just don't think there's a need for that with like what we're producing. Right. And we'll never, you know, even though we have food and animals, the only harm that we'll do is like towards food. Earlier, we kind of were, like, a little gory um, in terms of, like, <laughs> like you know, maybe we had too much jelly spilling out of this jelly-filled donut that was just cut in half. So, um, and I think that comes from, like, our love of, like, horror movies. So I think now we've just found, like, a better balance of, you know, what's, what's tastefully um, torturous and scary and funny at the same time. So I don't know if there's anything else that you would like people to know about the work you guys are producing or anything. I know you have some big projects coming up that you can't really spill the beans on yet. But um, is there any any news or any places you're going to be coming up that you want people to maybe come out and meet you guys? We have a lot of stuff coming up. Um, we're definitely going to be at Awesome Con in D.C. on May 29th and 31st. And then um, I can't give the exact details on our next gallery show until like the gallery announces it. But right. 
we're definitely um, two weeks from now, we'll be posting on our Instagram, Facebook, everywhere on social media, Snapchat. <laughs> There's just so much. Um, <laughs> um, we'll be posting our, our really fun piece that we've made for the next Gallery 1988 show. We've already posted some teasers to Twitter if you want to check it out. And awesome. yeah, I, I wish I could share like all of our amazing news. But, I, you know, in some ways, it's kind of fun to be like, we have something big coming on, but I can't say. <laughs> well, that'll get people to follow you, you know, on social media. <laughs> so when you can make the announcement, you'll make the announcement. And they can be in the inner circle then of your followers who know what's going on. So thank awesome. you so much. You're and welcome. I love your podcast. So it's very exciting oh, to talk to you. <laughs> thank you very much. All right. Well, wasn't that fun? I had a great time and I hope you did too. I'm going to be posting links to the Cuddles and Rage website and the Etsy store and all that great stuff over at craftsanity.com so you can click on all the links and check out Liz and Jimmy's work. It came at a great time for me. I've been working on a really heavy project with my students and it was fun to laugh about tacos sitting on couches Uh, (laughs) because... Why not laugh about Taco City on Couches? It's really, really fun. So yeah, so head over to craftsanity.com and check out this cool work by Liz and Jimmy. And once again, I want to thank my Patreon sponsors for keeping this show going. You guys are awesome. High fives all around. And I want to thank acshomeandwork.com for keeping me going as well. I love it. And every time I print, I think of Ted and his team, these lovely people that hooked me up with uh, tea towels at the beginning and have inspired me to refine my skills and actually bring my tea towels and other hand-printed goods to market this summer. I'm I'm gearing up for opening day of the Fulton Street Artisans Market, which is coming up in June. After the music plays out here, I am going to tell you a little bit about what I've been working on and explain a little bit about the recent delay of these last couple episodes of the show so all right for those of you who have to go now you don't have to listen to the after show that's completely optional i will be back soon with another episode and if you have an idea for me of who you think i should interview by all means get in touch just email jennifer at craftsanity.com so i'll be back soon in the meantime craft sanity my friends it works for me thank you for listening to this episode of the craft sanity podcast To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week we'll be crafting. Thank you for sticking around uh, to hear what's been going on in the background here. As you probably noticed, my show last week just did not make it onto the feed, and um, it was kind of delayed again this week. So I apologize for that. I appreciate your patience. Uh, I just wanted to update you a little bit. Uh, As many of you know, I teach journalism as an adjunct professor at Grand Rapids Community College, and this semester we decided to... Well, I decided there isn't, <laughs> I don't have any colleagues really. So I'm a one woman show there. And I decided to kind of get in the trenches with my students. And I it was inspired by a woman named Jane, who I wrote about in the fall, back when I was still writing my art and craft column for the Grand Rapids Press and I'mLive.com. 
And hospice had contacted me to tell me about a woman who was quilting. And even though she had a terminal illness and was in hospice care, she was getting out of bed every day and sitting in a chair in her room in an assisted living center. And she was hand quilting every day. You know, I knew how the story was going to eventually end. I did have some trepidation a little bit because I thought, oh my goodness, uh, it was sad. But I also am an artist and crafter to my core and I was very compelled to go have a conversation with this woman who I knew was a kindred spirit because I would want to do the same thing. I'd want to keep making things as long as I could and I really wanted to tell that story. So I went over there and we met and you know, I really liked Jane from the beginning. So we hit it off and it was fun. I went back for a second visit. I knew I was in trouble at the end of the first visit because I was now connected to Jane and I'm a columnist. So I have, well, I was a columnist. (laughs) I'm a columnist now without a newspaper, but um, see, it's so awkward to describe what it is I am. I'm a journalist, I'm a story collector, and I'm independent now, I guess. Um, That's how I got to get my two-minute elevator pitch um, polished here, folks, because it just isn't right now. Anyway, I was very inspired to tell a story about this woman, and I realized that a lot of the writing I had done as a rookie journalist and reporter was kind of fumbling around um, in pretty serious situations where I had to figure out like, okay, how best to deal with grieving families and how to write about tragedies and, and things that are surprising to people and things that catch people off guard that are wildly negative. And I learned on the job. I was very inspired after meeting Jane. I contacted the folks at hospice and we set up a partnership where I was then permitted to bring my students to do some interviews with people who were in hospice care. It was an experience like no other I've ever had as a journalist. I wrote a piece about this. And if you head over to craftsanity.com and uh, look for the post, if you do Hospice of Michigan, a search on my website, you'll find the post and it will likely be near the top. Uh, Those of you who are listening to this close to April 23rd, 2015, um, you'll see a post. Yeah. So I've, I've been working on this project with my students and uh, I also made a behind-the-scenes video, and but that video doesn't even hold a candle to the video that the group has put the most effort into, and it's a video that still is um, it it is very moving, and I am just so proud of the students that I worked with on this project because, um, you know, it was kind of an organic thing. Like we didn't know who we were going to talk to or how that was going to go, and there were so many unknowns walking into this. Uh, And I used to feel really kind of down about the fact that I'm perpetually in a temporary position at my college. It's the best position for me. It's it's definitely I should be working with journalists and people who are learning to document the world around them. But you don't get a ton of respect. It's hard sometimes to like feel really proud about the fact that you're you know, in the academic world, essentially a second-class citizen as an adjunct. You know, I can't talk to my students about what's going to happen two or three years down the road. And it's often frustrating when I'm walking out at 1045 and I have to call the police department to tell them, like, hey, we're still in the room. How long can we stay? And you walk past all these other empty classrooms and you're just like, why am I doing this? Like, am I some kind of idiot? I finally, like, took that chip off my shoulder and set that chip aside and thought, you know what? Do a project 
and throw something at the wall and try to inspire my students to go outside of our classroom, you know, learning environment and go beyond covering the stories we normally cover and do something a little more in depth, something that involves a lot more of an emotional investment and try to take this to the next level of reporting and invest a piece of themselves in something. And I really just got to a point where I wanted to stop complaining about what stunk about being an adjunct and just teach like I might never get a chance to do this again. And it's amazing when you reframe your thinking and focus on something positive. It's really amazing like how wonderful things go. Obviously, I can't go to the grocery store and pay for my groceries with my work ethic. I mean, while the payment that you get in response, um, what I've gotten from this um, has not been financial. I've gotten so much, though, in the form of feeling like I helped my students do something very meaningful. And, you know, we are connected now, those of us who work closely on this project, we're connected now in a way that we never would have connected had we not done this project. And I feel like that is a very beautiful thing. And I have no regrets about the extra time that we all invested to make this project go. And I'm so thankful to Hospice of Michigan and all the families, uh, the Sheldon family, the Booth family. If there's something going on where you might be working in kind of a frustrating situation or you know, you're maybe focusing on the wrong thing. Cause I, I was kind of focusing on the wrong thing. I was walking around feeling foolish about all the time I spend doing a job that doesn't pay a lot. You know, I could not support my family off of an adjunct journalism job. And, uh, you know, then I had kind of that extra kick in the rear when my job was eliminated by, you know, my newspaper and, you know, you just kind of feel like just bad, you know, <laughs> like you're just, everything is going the wrong direction. And, you know, in that situation, I'm glad that I chose to focus on the positive and I'm glad I chose to put more energy into the classroom and kind of reallocate that energy I was putting into writing a column every week. Uh, and that's something that I was trying to do right after I lost my position. I was trying to write something every week for my website. And, um, you know, obviously I can't do everything all of the time. So I took a little break from that and put that energy into helping my students get their stories polished and ready. And I'm glad that I did that. And I definitely will be back to writing about artists and crafters very soon. I needed to get my journalism mojo back and um, focus on why it is I even got into this business to begin with. And uh, yeah, I'm and thank you for your patience. And uh, I invite you to go over to craftsanity.com and and check out this project. Uh, this is the first time that I've ever published any writing alongside my students. And uh, that was fun, too. I'm really actually kind of surprised how fun that was, that part, um, because I thought I was okay with not being published on a regular basis. And it turns out I'm totally not okay with that. And uh, it was a real kick and a real honor and privilege to get to publish alongside my students. So yeah, thanks to the editor-in-chief for uh, extending that opportunity. I do appreciate it. All right. So that's all I have to say about this uh, because I say so much in the piece I wrote and a behind-the-scenes video that I made. So uh, I'll let you guys check that out if you want to. And uh, 
yeah, I'll be back with another crafty interview soon. So thanks for listening.